As we prepare to come into God's Word, um, I'd like to lead us in prayer this morning, lead us in prayer for the scriptures that we're going to be diving into. Um, We also want to pray today, uh, looking ahead to the week ahead for um, our families, uh, as we've got kids of all different ages heading into school here in this next week. Uh, We want to pray uh, in our midst. We've got a number of different individuals who work within uh, schools in our region here in a variety of capacities, teachers, administrators, um, EAs, etc. And so we want to be praying for them. Uh, We also want to be praying for uh, families in our midst as well who uh, we've got some who um, play double duty of mom or dad as well as teacher in terms of homeschooling environments. And so uh, I love the spectrum that exists within our church. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, we want to be lifting up um, each one of these right now. So let's bow together. Let's pray for our children, our families, uh, those involved in educating our children and, uh, and for a time in the Word. God, we come to you today. And uh, we know that there are seasons in life. There are beautiful seasons of rhythm that you give to us in our years and for our families um, in our church that we are heading into um, another season of the school year starting. We thank you for the summer and for all that you have done through this summer uh, in our church. We thank you for VBS and camp and uh, different things that have happened amongst kids. We thank you for all the gifts of time together you gave to families together. And as we head into this new school year, I just ask that you would really um, lead and guide in the days ahead here. Uh, For some, I am sure this is an exciting week, and I just ask that you would just guard and protect and encourage them. For others, I know this is a scary week, an anxiety-inducing week, um, uh, an uncertain week, and so I pray for comfort and for help. God, I pray for each one of the children that uh, are represented as part of this church family, that you would allow them to grow up to love and live for you. And whichever school and whatever that looks like um, for where they're going to be going, that you would just allow that to be an environment that they really shine as a light and that they are equipped by their parents and by our church family to really live for Jesus there. I pray for um, all those who are going to be a part of teaching and educating um, students in our community, whether that is um, uh, um, homeschooling parents, whether that is teachers or um, principals and vice principals, whether that is uh, EAs or ECEs or um, many other roles that folks are involved, I just ask that you would really allow each one to have grace and strength um, and to also really be a light in the midst of each one that they interact with. And now as we come to your word, we come with eager hearts. We want to hear from you. And so speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. This morning, we are in our final week of this year's um, Summer in the Psalms, Psalms of Summer. And we're in Psalm 79 today. Grab your Bibles out. If you didn't bring a Bible, please, there's one in within arm's reach for you there in one of the seats in front of you. Grab those out. Turn to Psalm 79 with me. And Psalm 79, I've titled our message in it today, Praying in Exile. Praying in Exile. And today's psalm harkens back to a psalm we looked at a few weeks ago, which was Psalm 74, 
Both were written by a group of worship leaders in the line of Asaph, and both seem to have been written in the midst of the exile and reflecting upon the exile that happened as a result of the Babylonians coming and attacking the Israelites in Jerusalem in 587 BC. This is the events that maybe you might ring back or, or think to mind of like Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That whole time frame, like that was the exile that happened, and that's around the same time that we are reading this psalm from. And this psalm that we are in today is frankly packed with some pretty deep, dark, heavy, angst-ridden emotions. I made up a list of some of the things that I think would describe the emotions the psalmist was going through, the feelings behind this prayer. Agony, fear, being oppressed, lost, angry, feeling desperate, alone, condemned, humiliated. Those are a few adjectives that kind of describe the sentiment going on within the psalmist's heart as he pens this psalm that is before us here. And I wonder for a moment, as you look upon that list, has there ever been a time in your life where that describes what you have been going through? Has there ever been a time in your list where, in your life, if you were to like rip out a page from the journal that you keep day to day, this would be like describing the entry or entries that you have gone through? Has there ever been a season that you've walked through where, where this is the inner you? Maybe even, frankly, for some today, you're walking in here and you were barely able to even get here today because this is right where you are at now. Or maybe, maybe this is where you are going to be in the not-too-distant future. Or, or maybe there's someone who is very near and dear, a loved one of yours, who this is where they're at right now. And, and although we come to this psalm, Psalm 79, and almost assuredly the reason why the psalmist was feeling all of these things is something that I don't think almost any of us will experience— we know all too well from other reasons, from other events and happenings in our lives, we know what this bitterness feels like. We know what the cup of angst in the midst of exile tastes like. We get it. And this psalm today is going to lead us and help us and guide us to pray in the midst of these sort of seasons, whether it is for ourselves right now or a time that is coming or a loved one around us or all of the above to lead us and guide us on how to pray in the exile. So what I want to do here today with us is we're going to first of all walk through this psalm just to kind of understand and get our moorings and see all that is within this, okay? So we're going to walk through this psalm, and then we're going to ask three questions that I think each one of us need to consider if you are going to take Psalm 79 and actually pray it yourself. Three questions to really internalize and wrestle through. If you're going to take this psalm, and that's what we want all the psalms to be, is one that we internalize, we take it, we pray it. That's what God's given to us. Three questions we need to ask if you are going to real, truly, legitimately do that. Okay? So that's where we're headed. We're going to walk through the psalm, 
ask those three questions to lead us to really take and pray this psalm here. So let's start out. Verse 1, Psalm 79. Our prayer in exile begins with a very vivid, actually pretty disturbing recounting of the attacks of the Babylonians. Verse 1. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. We read all about this in Psalm 74. The wicked neighbors from the east came. They laid siege upon Jerusalem. They broke down the walls and they went in and horrifically destroyed the city. Verse 2 continues. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem. There is no one to even bury the dead. We are objects of reproach to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. The Israelites were, were massacred. They were massacred by the Babylonians when they came in. Psalm 74, its focus, if you recall, or if you want to go back and study that or listen to the sermon online, its focus was how they came in and destroyed, desecrated the temple, God's holy dwelling place. With with axes and hatchets, they just tore it down and lit it all on fire. Psalm 79, its focus is on the people. So not only did they do that to God's house, they also were brutal with the people. They killed so many people, the streets were filled with blood. So many people died that there was no one left to bury the dead. The animals were coming and eating them. Those they didn't kill, they dragged off to Babylon as slaves. That's what the psalmist here is writing from, a place of slavery, knowing all of his family and friends went through that and they are left now in bondage. In verse 5, he starts to lay out these angst-ridden cries, these questions to God. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and destroyed his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers. May your mercy come quickly to meet us. For we are in desperate need. God, we are stuck in this painful place of exile and it feels like there's no way out. How long, O Lord? I wonder this summer, how many families went on a road trip? Show of hands. Any families go on a road trip? Okay, a number of you sort of shyly put your hand up there. What is the question, parents, that you absolutely love to hear from the back seat when you are 15 minutes down the road on your road trip? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. We just got in the car. How long? How long, mom and dad? Aren't we there yet? That's the psalmist here. 
That's the psalmist crying unto God. How long, God? Are we there yet? Aren't we through this? You know, it's, it's interesting. Every single time in my own life that I have been in a season like that kind of list of bullets there, and every single time I have sat down with someone who would use that to describe them. They're going through something in life and they sit down with a, for a cup of coffee with me and are talking about it or sharing about it or come into my office or whatever. Every single time, do you know what I say or I hear? It feels like this is never going to end. Every time. I see no light at the end of the tunnel. Is this ever going to lift? Is the anxiety ever going to be released? Is the, the pressure we're going through right now ever going to stop? Is there ever going to be hope? Is there ever going to be? And every single time in the midst of these times of exile, it feels like, just like the psalmist here, how long, God? This is never going to end, is it? Are we there yet, God? Surely we're there yet. Can you please let some relief come and finally stop this? We get this. We get this psalm. This captures our hearts so powerfully in these times of exile. Verse 9 continues, help us. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. By the strength of your arm, preserve those condemned to die. The psalmist is directing these pleas and these cries to God as they are imprisoned and destined for death. Right? That's what he says at the end there. Crying out, and I need your salvation, I need your deliverance. Our Savior, deliver us, forgive us for your name's sake. We are in the depths of prison, stuck in bondage. Don't let them make a mockery of you. Be the strength for those who are condemned to die. Preserve us. Please, Lord. Please. We need you. I need you, Lord. I need you every hour. I need you. Verse 12, pay back into the laps of our enemy, of our neighbors seven times. Stand up and hold these enemies to account. Don't let them just get away with this, God. Give them what they deserve. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Rescue your people. Deliver us. And then we will tell our children's, 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 children, and we will unite together in worship. Oh God, we need you. This is our psalm. This is our psalm. This is our prayer in exile. And what we have seen as we have walked through the psalms what we know about the book of Psalms is that it is a prayer book that God has given to us, his church. 
It is a prayer book for us to take and not only just be like, oh, interesting information, but it's actually to be words for us to pray and praise and talk to and use to give language for us when we're calling out to God. And some of the Psalms, they're, they're like so easy to do that with, right? Like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, that one comes off my lips just so easily. God is our rock and refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Oh, I can pray that one so naturally. That's an easy one to pray. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. Yeah, I can go to that one really just easy. But then we sometimes come to Psalms like Psalm 79. And it's like, man, this is a harder one to pray, isn't it? These are harder words to really... And and if we are to take these words and internalize these words and pray these words back to God, which is the whole point of them, okay? That's the whole reason God's given them to us. How do we do that with a psalm like this? We resonate with that list of experiences, and yet there's certain things in this psalm that I think it's pretty obvious for all of us. We read them and we're like, how do I pray that? Well, let me ask, give us three questions that we need to consider if we're going to pray this psalm, okay? Three questions we all need to reflect upon and even wrestle through if we are to really internalize and pray this psalm. Here's the first question. Here's the first question we all need to ask ourselves if we are to do what God wants us to do, which is to pray Psalm 79, from the bottom of our hearts and our souls. Where do you see sin? That's the first question we all need to ask today. Where do you see sin? So you find yourself in the place of exile. You find yourself in the place where that list of, you know, agonizing, afraid, oppressed, lost, hurting, angry, desperate, lonely, overcome, shame, condemnation, you can add to it. When you are feeling all of those things, where do you see sin? Because you know, first of all, I hope you know this, that the reason why we go through any of the realities of the bitterness of angst and exile is because of sin. You know that, right? Our world is broken. We feel the pain of brokenness. We live in a messed up broken world because of sin. The reason why this psalm is written, the experience this psalmist was going through, the reason why any of us feel those things there is because of sin. Where, though, do you see sin? See, this psalm goes through this really interesting sort of like progression. I want to show you it. Start out here with me in verse 1, because where this psalm first of all points out and sees sin is the sin out there. Verse 1. 
They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. Verse 2, they have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air. Verse 3, they have poured out blood like water. Where is the psalmist seeing sin? He's seeing it out there, right? In the, the acts of the Babylonians. Look at all the things they did. Look at all the wrongs they committed. They, look at all the atrocities and the failures that they have done. It is, it is so easy and natural for us when we first consider this question, where do you see sin? Well, well, I can very easily see sin out there. I can very easily, I can very easily blame shift and point out the failings of such and such. I can very easily redirect. This is the way it's always gone, right? Like right back to the very beginning of when sin even entered into the world. Do you remember how the story of Adam and Eve went? Adam and Eve in the garden, all is good. God says, don't eat from this particular tree. The, the devil comes and tempts Eve. Eve eats of the tree. Adam is standing there just passively watching Eve eat it. And then he's like, all right, I'll dive in too. And then all of a sudden, God comes in and is like, what have you done? And he goes, first of all, to Adam and says, hey, Adam, what have you done? And he says, not my fault. It was the woman you gave me. So then God goes over and talks to Eve, and he's like, Eve, what have you done? And she's like, not my fault. It was the snake you put in the garden. And from that day forward, every single one of us have that tendency. Not my fault. Look at, look at, look at what they've done. Look at how, how messed up they are. How easy it is for us to see sin out there. It's not my fault. It was them. Yeah, yeah, but, but what about look what he is doing? We see sin so easily in them, don't we? How easy it is for us to see the sin of that other person at work and how they just keep messing up and living that way. How, how foolish that other person in our family member, their family member in our extended family is. Do you see how they're living? Man, we're so messed. They're so messed up. What's wrong with that guy over there on social media or that lady over there on Facebook? It's so easy to see all the ridiculousness they're posting and wag our finger and look down our nose. How easy it is to sit in this room and see the sin of the person on the other side of the room. Do you know what's going on in their home? Do you know what I heard about them? Do you know? Can you believe their? We so easily see sin in them out there. That's easy. That's natural. Everyone does that. But see, our psalm is going to push us to something deeper here, friends. Do you want to pray this psalm? It's going to push us to something deeper, Bethel. Look at verse 8. Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers, he says next. Or, or depending on your translation, you know, it might also say something about the do not hold against us the generations who've gone before us. 
See, now he's going from the sins of just the Babylonians out there to like, oh, you know what? Actually, perhaps after a little bit of spirit-led soul-searching, the psalmist is like, you know what? There is actually sin all around us here too. It's actually not just way out there. Because if you remember how this whole series of events came to be where the people of God were sent into exile and why they're going through all of this. It was because God kept sending warning after warning after warning to his people to come back to him and follow him and live for him and they just kept ignoring. They like stuck their fingers in their ears and were like, la, 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 I'm not gonna listen to you, God. I mean, this is what we read in Jeremiah 35. Again and again, I sent all my servants, the prophets to you, God says. They said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. Then you shall live in the land I have given you and your fathers. But you have not paid attention or listened to them. The reason why Asaph's choir guys are in this spot is because not just the Babylonians were wicked and vile and came in and slaughtered mercilessly. They're also in this spot because their own fathers didn't listen to God. See, it starts to get a little bit closer to home. As we start to wrestle through praying this psalm, we are confronted with this reality. Hey, you know what? Maybe actually sin is a little closer to home than we might first like to acknowledge. Maybe actually there's a fair bit of broken dysfunction in my own home, not just out there in the world. Maybe, hey, it's not all just them, but it's actually, hey, maybe we can't stand here in an ivory tower and look down on all those people in the world because there's actually quite a bit of mess in this room. There is sin around us. Where do you see sin? Do you just see it out there? Do you see it around us? The psalmist pushes us even deeper. Because it's not just sin out there that is leading to the exile and bitterness that we live in. And it's not just sin around us that is causing us to live and drink from the bitter well in exile. Notice verse 9. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. See, now he's right into, oh, this is, this is me. This is me and you. It's not just sin out there. It's not just sin around us, but it is sin in me. Where do you see sin, friends? Deliver us and forgive our sins. If you want to pray this psalm, Psalm 79, if we are to pray this psalm, we need to ask ourselves, where do you see sin? Where do I see sin? And yes, it is true that for the, the early first readers of this, there was sin in the acts of the Babylonians, and it is true for us today that we can look around at our world and see there is sin around us in our world, but we can't stop there. 
because it was not just that there was sin out there. Yeah, there was, but there was also sin around because of the sins of our fathers. And guess what? That's just as true for us here today. But it doesn't just stop there. There is also sin in me. Now, make no mistake, our psalm here is not leading us into a place. This is not about some victim-shaming thing. That's not where the psalm is going. That's not the situation it's talking about. That's not the direction it's leading us. There, I am not saying that every angst-ridden moment or burden and hardship that we go through or suffering that we go through is a direct result of sin that we have done. Sometimes there is sin done against us and it is nothing to do at all with what we have done. And yet, here's the reality, brothers and sisters. Every single time the Holy Spirit brings about internal revival. It always starts with a person being broken over, not just sin out there, not just sin around us, but sin in me. Every time. Every time God brings revival to a spirit, it starts with brokenness and contrition with that individual. Every single time. There's no way around it. This is the way the Lord works. And so if you want to experience revival in the midst of exile, where do you see sin? Where are you broken over sin? Where are you running to God for mercy and forgiveness? Which leads us really into the second question we need to ask if we're going to pray this psalm. Here's the second question. If you really want to take and internalize this psalm, you need to ask yourself this question. How holy do you believe God is? How holy do you believe God is? For some, the idea of praying, some of the statements in this psalm seem strange and awkward and out of place because of the assumptions you have about God. See, there is an assumption the psalmist has underneath all that he is saying. It is this, God is holy. God is holy. God is pure and spotless and glorious and wonderful and loving and good, and he is holy. That is undergirding all that is going on within this psalm. And we, we might say, oh yeah, that sounds really good. I love that God is loving and good and, and set apart and pure and glorious. But then I come to a verse like verse 6 and I'm like, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. And we're like, are those things at odds? How is the goodness of God not a contradiction with a prayer and calling out to God to pour out his wrath. How are those two things not at odds with one another? Can I suggest to you that it is because of God's goodness and holiness that his wrath comes out and it makes sense for us to pray and ask for God to pour out his wrath? Let me say that again. 
It is because of, it is not in contradiction to, it is because of ensuing out from his goodness, his love, and his holiness that God's wrath makes sense. Let me give you a little illustration, okay? Imagine with me this afternoon after church, you are driving home and you stop at the lights right by the Canadian Tire just down there, okay? You stop at those lights, and there is a young mom who is pushing a stroller and is very visibly pregnant with the next baby on the way, walking across the street right in front of you in the next 45 minutes. She's walking across the street right there, and then all of a sudden from the TD parking lot, this group of five or six teenagers comes running out, and you're sitting there, and you watch the whole thing. They run, they push over the stroller, they throw the mom down, and they start to kick her and steal her purse. Imagine that with me for a moment, okay? You got that image in your head? How do you feel inside at that moment? How do you react in that moment? What do you do when you are sitting 45 minutes from now in broad daylight on that street seeing a pregnant mom and her baby get assaulted and robbed? What do you do? Do you not feel sick inside? Do you not want to jump out of your car and immediately get on the floor, on the ground there and start picking up that young mom? Do you not want to chase those teenagers down? Do you not want to get on the phone, call the police, and have them thrown away, put away, and thrown the key gone? Don't you want that? Now, is there something wrong with you because you want those things? Are those not the real, reasonable, good response to something that is an atrocious evil that you've seen done right in front of you? You want justice, this makes you sick, you can have nothing to do with this. That was wrong. Is that not coming out of goodness in your heart that you're reacting that way? So too it is with God. See, here's the question, how holy do you think God is? In other words, how set apart from sin do you think God is? Do you think sin is just like no big deal and God's just like, you know, one or two steps above us and just like the wise man that you can go to and ask for advice? Or do you think God is altogether separate? Do you not realize that that sin to God is like a stomach flu that makes him want to vomit? That sin to God, when he sees vile wrong, he's like, this is not okay. I will not let this go. I demand justice to be done. See, it is not a contradiction that God is good and loving and we cry out for his wrath. It is actually from his goodness and love that we demand he deal with sin. It comes from the very character and the holiness of God that we pray this psalm. That's the assumption the psalmist has here about the character of God. Do you have that assumption about God? That's the assumption that all the writers of Scripture have about the character of God, that he is that holy, that good, that pure, that spotless, that he despises and will hold to account sin. Verse 9 
See this? We see the holiness of God play out in a different way. Look at how he pleads with God. Notice his motivation. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Save us, God. Deliver us. Forgive us. Why? Why does he plead for deliverance? What's his motivation? What's his reasoning here as he prays? Crying out to God for forgiveness. How often do we pray like this? How often is this our motivation? I mean, it is, it is it's not at all uncommon for us to see a loved one that's going through a hard time. Oh God, would you please just bring them through this hard time and bring healing? Oh God, we're going through such a hard time as a family right now. Would you deliver us to make this go away? Why? So that, and often it's so that we can have an easier, comfortable, safer, healthier, smoother path in life. Which is really to say, do this God for me, 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 us, 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 us. The psalmist here, though, see, the psalmist has this understanding. God is holy, which means, guess what? The sun doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around the sun. We are not the gravitational center of the spiritual universe. God is. God, would you save us? Would you deliver us? And often, a byproduct of that, I mean, it would, be, it would be much more comfortable to be relieved from slavery under the Babylonians, of course, right? It would be much more comfortable to have the Lord lift this pit of bitterness and exile that you and I are walking through at whatever given season we're walking through. There's no doubt about that. But because we see the holiness of God, we are led. And if we're going to pray this psalm, we need to understand and embrace this attitude and understanding that God is holy, which leads us to say, oh, not for me and not for my sake, but oh, Lord, for your glory, for that is what the universe is made for. That is what I exist for. That is the center of why we are here. Is that your understanding of God? How holy do you believe God is? And then this brings us to a third question because if those first two questions are there, it leads us actually to an incredible dilemma. Here's the third question you need to ask, I need to ask, we all need to ask if we're going to pray this song. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your only hope? You need to ask that question today. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your only hope? See, those first two questions we've asked lead us to this dilemma. They leave us in a dilemma. If you're going to pray this psalm, you're going to be stuck. See, it first of all leads us to see there is not just sin out there, and there is not just sin around here, but there is sin in me. And this psalm leads us to see that God is disgusted with sin. So what hope do we have? 
If God is so holy that he wants nothing to do with sin, and every single one of us are in the midst of sin and bound up in sin and in bondage to sin, what do you do with that? That's the dilemma that verse 9 answers. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. That's the answer to the dilemma. If you want to really be able to pray this psalm, you need to answer this question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your only hope? See, that word there in that verse that says forgive, in the original language, what it literally means is atone. Would you deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake? Atonement is to have one which is who is perfect to step in the gap and pay the penalty for us. That's what atonement means. I've got this debt I can't pay. I need one with infinite riches to pay it. I've got this gap that I cannot bridge. I need one to stand in the gap to allow me to get across. I have got a weight upon my shoulders that I cannot lift. I have guilt upon me that I cannot pay for myself. I need one to step in for me. That's what we're being pointed to. Oh, Lord, would you send an atonement for us? See, sometimes we might have this idea, oh God, just forgive us, as if God can just go and just wash away all of your sins, just willy-nilly. That's not the way it works, because if God just willy-nilly washed away your sin or my sin, guess what? He wouldn't be just. You go before a judge and you say, I'm really sorry, judge. I know I murdered this person, but I'm really sorry. Can you just let me off? If that judge said, oh, I'm so glad you're sorry, Go in peace. We would have an outcry, and rightfully so, because a judge upholds justice. That's why the solution we need if we are full of sin and God is holy beyond imagination is an atonement to take our sin away. It's the only hope you have. It's the only hope I have. It's the only hope any of us have. And as we read so beautifully as we came to the communion table, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as what? An atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to free you and me from exile. That's, that's where this psalm leads us to. In the midst of the angst and the, the loneliness, the bitterness and the pain, the suffering and the, the hardship, this psalm leads us to cry out to God and points us ahead to an atoner who would come and step in the gap for us. And we now know that that is Jesus. And so if you want to pray this psalm, the only way you can really pray this psalm, the only way you can internalize it and meet it and find freedom from the exile is this. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your only hope? 
That's your only solution, and that is the most amazing, gracious gift that God offers to every single one of us today. So I need to ask you. I I want to plead with you. I don't know where you're at in your own spiritual journey. I don't know what exactly brought you in today. I don't know where you're at in terms of exploring all of this Jesus church stuff and everything. But if you have not yet today given your life to him and said, I surrender all to Jesus, that is your hope. That is your only hope. When you and I are stuck in sin before a holy God, run to him. He with open arms is a gracious gift is saying, Call upon me, lay down your life, and I will give you life everlasting. Maybe, maybe you've made that commitment, but maybe today you need to run back again. And I mean, at some level, what day do we not all need to run back? Oh, Jesus, Lord, I need you. How I need you. And I give thanks because there is hope even in the midst of exile.